Well, good morning. It is so good to be here with you this morning. Great to worship with all of you. Um, I love the passion and energy and enthusiasm that you bring to worship and to serve um, God in all the different ways that you're serving in this community. Um, so grateful for the ministry of City Harbor, for Pastor Ben and Rebecca and uh, all the leaders here. Grateful to have the opportunity to, to serve alongside you, to partner together uh, for the kingdom. Uh, this morning we're going to look at one of my favorite stories in the gospel uh, account. Uh, from the book of John, chapter 4, the story where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me to John, chapter 4, uh, verses 4 to 42. It's a rather uh, lengthy story, but it's a wonderful story, and so I'm going to read it uh, for us this morning. John, chapter 4, starting at verse 4. Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I never will be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you are right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews knew all about him, for salvation comes to the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now, skipping uh, down uh, to verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you told us, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Amen. Well, Jesus and his disciples were traveling from Judea, 
the southern part of, of Palestine, uh, the, the area surrounding Jerusalem, and they were traveling north to their home area of Galilee. Um, I imagine the sun was probably blazing hot that day as they were traveling, and that they had probably gotten up to, to walk starting early in the morning. They were probably hot and sweaty and hungry. It was lunchtime, but they had completely run out of food. They had about a 75-mile journey, so that would be a multiple-day journey uh, from uh, Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee. Um, And the most direct way was to go through Samaria, the region kind of right in between Judea and Galilee. But most Jewish people would travel miles out of their way to avoid going through Samaria. The Jewish people and the Samaritans hated one another. They despised one another. They did everything they could possibly do to avoid interacting with each other. They had a few that went back hundreds of years, animosity between these two groups. They actually had a similar cultural heritage, uh, but they had very different uh, racial and ethnic uh, background. They had different socio-political uh, perspectives, um, and they had opposing religious views. They supposedly worshipped the same God, but in very different ways, at least in their minds. The Samaritans held only to the Torah, the first five books of what we would call our Old Testament, while the Jewish people accepted all of the prophets and the Torah and all of the writings that we would include in our Old Testament. Uh, For the Jewish people, Jerusalem was the central place to worship. For the Samaritans, it was Mount Gerizim. Um, And the differences could go on and on. To us, maybe the differences don't seem that extreme, but to them, it only fueled their bitter animosity toward one another. As I said, Jewish people would go miles out of their way to avoid going through Samaria. But the Gospel of John here tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. So most likely he's being driven by a greater purpose and a greater calling here. I'm sure his disciples would have loved to avoid Samaria if they could, but desperate times call for desperate measures, and his disciples were hungry. Um, And most likely his disciples were 18 to 22-year-old guys, and I work with college students, and I know that when, you know, when guys are hungry, they'll they'll do what they need to do. So so the, the, the disciples went to the closest village, and it happened to be a Samaritan village. Uh, they leave Jesus behind to, to sit at the well um, to, to, to kind of rest because uh, he's tired from his journey, as it says in, in John verse, uh, 4, verse 6. Jesus was 100% God and 100% human. And so he was tired, just like we all get tired. And he had a human body like ours. So Jesus is sitting there at the well by himself. His disciples are in the village buying food. And around noon, a woman comes to the well. Of course, she's a, a Samaritan woman, this being in Samaria. Um, now, now, not only did the Jews and, and, and Samaritans avoid interacting with each other, if they could, um, but Jewish men would hardly ever talk to women in public, even their own wives. They wouldn't talk to them in public settings, uh, let alone would a Jewish man speak to a Samaritan woman. I mean, this is just unheard of and, and absurd. And, and, and religious leaders, um, especially a, a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher, would definitely have never spoken to a woman in public. But Jesus was different. He wasn't like everyone else. And so when the Samaritan woman approaches the well to draw water, he asks her for a drink of water. It's difficult to know exactly how the woman felt 
when Jesus made this request? Was she shocked? Was she surprised? Was she offended? Was she intrigued? I I don't really know. I mean, what she said was, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? I don't know how she said it. I don't know what she was thinking, what she was feeling. In some ways, maybe it was a mixture of all of the above. You see, in addition to the fact that she was a Samaritan woman and that Jesus was a Jewish man, there's also the reality that the woman was coming to draw water for herself in the middle of the day, at noon, during the hottest part of the day, and she's by herself. The task of drawing water was usually a communal task that women from the village would do together. As you could imagine, it was a rather arduous task. If you've ever tried to carry water uh, for any length of distance, it gets pretty heavy. Um, And so women would do this together as a way to kind of bond together and, and to make the task more enjoyable. But they wouldn't do it in the middle of the day. They would do it in the early part of the day before it got hot. And so the fact that this woman is coming to draw water by herself in the middle of the day probably means that she's trying to avoid the other women in the village. You see, we find out later on in the story that the woman has been married five times and that she's currently living with a man who's not her husband. This was strictly forbidden by the Torah in both the Jewish and the Samaritan laws. And so most likely she was the cause of a lot of gossip and chatter in the village, and maybe she just wanted to have to avoid all of that. But you see, there's something we have to understand, and Brenda Salter McNeil, uh, author and pastor, uh, brings this out in her book, Credible Witness. She, She points out the fact that women didn't have the power in that society to divorce their husbands. Uh, So, in fact, women had very little power in that society at all. And so if this woman has been married five times, then either there's a couple possibilities. Either she, uh, all of her husbands or some of her husbands passed away, uh, leaving her alone and destitute five different times. That would have been rather traumatic. Or she has had five different husbands, five different men who have taken lifelong vows uh, till death do us part, but who have divorced her, who have rejected her, who have cast her out, divorced her against her will. And that also would have been rather traumatic. Either way, five different times she has been left alone. Five different times she has been found herself destitute. No wonder she seems rather distrusting of men. No, no wonder she maybe seems reluctant to enter into another lifelong commitment to a man. No wonder she's willing to allow anyone who's willing to take her in uh, to, to support her, since women really couldn't live on their own in that society. So the woman knows her own story, but she doesn't know that Jesus knows her story. And, and she does know that they're coming from different perspectives and different backgrounds and that it's not uh, common for a man to talk to a woman in public. And, and so she asks Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then follows a rather interesting exchange. Jesus tells her that actually if, if she knew who he was, she would be asking him for a drink of water. But it would be life-giving, living water. The woman, of course, thinks that that sort of water would mean she wouldn't have to come back to this well anymore to draw water. And so, of course, she wants that type of water. Um, she desperately would love to not have to come to the well every day. 
But Jesus sees the deeper longings of her heart. He know that, knows that she's longing for even more, and, and he knows her story. He knows that she's been married five times, that she's currently living with someone she's not married to. And he states that. He says that to her in a way that's not necessarily judgmental or condemning. And it's almost matter of fact. He's stating it to, to show her that he knows her story, but that he's not walking away from her. He's not rejecting her. He's not turning around and walking the other direction. He's not going anywhere. Interestingly enough, when the woman finds out that Jesus knows everything about her, her reaction, her response um, is actually to pose a theological question. In fact, uh, the theological question, the, the, the hot topic button of the day, the, the topic that was divisive, so divisive between Jews and Samaritans, the, the controversial topic of where was the proper place to worship. Is it Jerusalem, as the Jews say, or is it Mount Gerizim, as, as the Samaritans say? I love this woman's feistiness. I love that she goes right to the heart of the matter. She says, okay, well, if you know everything about me, you know all of my deepest, darkest secrets, and you're not walking away. Let's see if this will make you walk away. Let's see if me bringing up the hot topic button, the divisive, controversial topic of the day, let's see if this will turn you away. Now, some people maybe think she's trying to redirect here, to, to move it away from the personal into a more abstract concept. And maybe that's the case. But I think she's kind of pressing in even deeper just to see how Jesus will respond. I tend to think that, that she uh, was actually a rather spiritual, uh, spiritually curious person. That she, um, she knows that this is actually her one shot, her one chance to talk with a Jewish rabbi. If there's ever a chance that she's going to be able to ask the deepest, most controversial question, uh, this is the time to ask it. And so she goes for it. She asks the deepest question to see how Jesus is going to respond. And sure enough, Jesus engages with her in discussion. He, he responds, responding that God isn't so concerned about where to worship or how we worship. Well, actually, but he's more concerned about how we worship. That God wants worshipers who will worship God in spirit and in truth. The location isn't as significant as how and who we worship. And then Jesus goes on to make one of the most astounding revelations uh, because for the first time ever in the Gospel of John, he reveals to someone that he is the Messiah. And he reveals this to a Samaritan woman. The Messiah was the, the longed-for, uh, promised one, the anointed one that, that the Jewish people were longing for, the one who would redeem and restore and rescue God's people, and the one that would help them fulfill their calling to be a light to the nations to instruct people of every nation and to point them to God. This is what the Messiah meant. And this is what Jesus is saying when he says that he's the Messiah. This is the first time that Jesus openly declares that he's the Messiah. And he declares it to a Samaritan woman who everyone else had ostracized, rejected. And she was from a people that had been ostracized and rejected and marginalized. Jesus reveals to her a truth that even... Some of his closest disciples don't discover a piece together until much later on in the Gospels. Well, after this amazing revelation, after Jesus reveals to her who he is, she turns around and she leaves her water pot behind, the very reason she had come to the well in the first place. And she runs back to her village, the village who had most likely rejected her and scorned her and mocked her. And she 
invites them to come with her to meet Jesus, to meet the Messiah who she just met only minutes prior to that. She invites them to experience Jesus for for themselves. And this is the argument that she uses. This is the whole defense that she uses to try to get them to come. She says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? I love that she even poses this in the form of a question. It's the most winsome, compelling way ever to get people to come to Jesus, to to say, hey, I think that this is Jesus. I think that this is the Messiah. Could you come and join me as I explore more about who Jesus is? And sure enough, they're intrigued. They're, they're compelled by her testimony, by her winsome way of inviting them. And they come, they meet Jesus. They convince Jesus to stay with them in Samaria for two days. And he does, teaching them and helping them to understand more about God's word. This is an amazing story. The questions are, what, what do we learn from Jesus? What do we learn Um, about ourselves, about God, through Jesus, and through this amazing woman. Well, I think, first of all, we learn that Jesus came for anyone and everyone. There is no one who is outside of the boundaries, no one that is too far gone, no one that's kind of outside the perimeter. Jesus didn't just come for the religious elite. He didn't come for the powerful, for the wealthy. He came for the marginalized, the oppressed, the ostracized, those who have hurt others and those who have been hurt by others. He came for anyone and everyone, those living with guilt and shame, those who have deep, dark secrets to hide. No one is outside of God's reach. Jesus didn't just come for the Jews. He came for the Samaritans. He came for the Gentiles, people of every nation, every ethnicity. He was willing to cross ethnic and cultural and socioeconomic boundaries, cross barriers of religion and race and class and gender to proclaim God's love and God's truth and God's mercy. We also see here, and I think this is interesting, that that Jesus um, was not above asking for help. Jesus teaches us that we should serve others and... um, you know, he even models that. Later on in John, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. But you know, it's even more humbling and, and more humility, humiliating sometimes to ask others for help, to ask others to help us. I, so often I would rather be the servant. I'd rather serve other people. But asking others for help, admitting my need is so difficult and so challenging. But Jesus was willing to humble himself to ask for a drink of water from a Samaritan woman out of a a water jar that would have been ritually unclean, but he was willing to ask her for help. And because he was willing to ask her for help, it opens up this conversation, this door to, to, to this intriguing conversation with her that ends up in resulting in not just her coming to Jesus, but this whole village coming to Jesus. This is actually a wonderful strategy, by the way, to build relationships. Asking other people for help is a wonderful way to get to know others. People love asking for help. Have you ever stopped and asked someone for directions? Um, if, if they're from around there anyway, and they know how to get it, they're, they're so happy to help you. Um, they love when, you, when they can help other people. Um, often we think that we need, uh, that in order to share the message of, of God's hope and, and truth, we need to come armed with the Bible under our one hand, one arm, and, you know, a whole list of all the problems that we can solve for them in our other arm. But actually, 
coming to them in the way that Jesus did involves recognizing that each and every person has inherent worth and inherent dignity, that each person has something to offer, that although we may know the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is something that this person has to offer us as well, that we can learn something from them. And so if we come to them and recognize their inherent worth, the inherent dignity of each person, then it may involve us asking them for help, us asking them to share their perspective with us and see if that might open them up to hear the truth of the gospel. We also learn from Jesus that we do not have to try to hide anything. That Jesus already knows everything there is to know about us anyway. Jesus knows our deepest, darkest secrets. Jesus knows the things we've done to others, the things that have been done to us. And Jesus isn't going anywhere. He's not going to turn around and and walk the other direction. Jesus isn't going to reject us. Jesus already knows, and he loves us anyway, individually and specifically. And Jesus doesn't want us to stay trapped in cycles of guilt and shame. He doesn't want us to stay trapped in hopelessness or despair. And so if we will let Jesus into our lives, then he will not only forgive us, but he'll heal us. He'll cleanse us. He'll transform us. He won't leave us the way that he found us. He wants us to be made over anew. If we come to Jesus and if we allow him into our lives, he won't cast us aside no matter what we've done, but he won't leave us the way that we are. Well, we also learn several things from the Samaritan woman as well. Uh, We learn that, you know, when we've been transformed by Jesus, we don't have to necessarily uh, go and get a degree in theology or or wait until we have done a Ph.D. dissertation uh, to convince other people to follow Jesus. All we have to do is share our story. And you might even still be on that journey. You might still be trying to figure things out for yourself. You can always use the Samaritan woman's technique. You can always say, hey, I think I've found the truth. I think I've found the one who brings life. I've, I've experienced this in my life. I'm still trying to piece it all together. Would you come with me and, and join me as I learn more about Jesus? Would you, would you join me on this journey? It's so much more fun when we have others to join us on the journey. And so you can use that woman's strategy. Don't wait until you think you have it all together. Enjoy, you know, invite them to come with you on that journey. Each of us are on a journey. None of us have it all figured out. None of us have completely arrived. None of us have it all together. We're all learning more. We all have more that there is to learn. Now, some of you, you know, perhaps you have experienced rejection from others, or perhaps you're worried that if other people really knew you, if other people really knew what's going on inside you, that perhaps they would reject you. And perhaps this shame, perhaps this fear, this guilt is holding you back from giving all that you are, all that you have to God. And I want to tell you today that you do not have to hide. You don't have to hide in shame or in guilt. Jesus already knows all of who you are. And and Jesus loves you. He wants to heal you and forgive you. So I have a a few action steps for us uh, this morning. Um, A a few things that I want to encourage you to do. And one is, as I've said, to invite others onto the journey with you. Invite other people to experience Jesus. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have all the answers or uh, or kind of a well-articulated argument. Um, It's okay if you're still trying to figure it out together. Invite other people to join you in that journey. 
Um, I'd also encourage you to, to break the silence. If, if there's something that, that you have been holding on to, some shame or some guilt, some fear that you have inside of you that's maybe eating you up inside, or maybe it's, it's holding you back from really giving everything over to God or, or maybe being in community with other people, there's, I know uh, many of us have experienced uh, traumatic things in our lives, difficult things, painful things. Um, and that can really sometimes hold us back. And what I would encourage you to do this morning is to find a leader uh, here after church and just say, hey, could I get together with you sometime in the next week or two? Could I have coffee with you? Could I, could I uh, share what's, what's going on in my life? And I would encourage you just to practice by telling one person, uh, one person that you know you can trust, one person here that you know um, will kind of uh, represent uh, Christ to you in, in the sense that they won't turn their back on you. And, um, and just share with them uh, what it is that's going on inside you. Um, maybe the ways that you're seeking or longing for healing, restoration. Um, and, and, and share that with that one person. Perhaps they may tell you uh, after you've met with them that, you know what, you should probably see a counselor or a therapist. Um, if they tell you that, I would heed that advice. You know, God wants us to be whole, body, mind, and soul. And there's, there's no shame in going uh, to doctors for physical healing. There's no shame in going to therapists or counselors for, for mental, psychological uh, healing. Um, God wants us to be whole, body, mind, and soul. And so when we have things that have, that have happened uh, to us, uh, things that have been done to us, or things that we've done to hurt other people, um, it's helpful to have someone to talk to. Uh, someone who can point us towards God, someone who can be uh, kind of God's hand and God's feet to us in, in representing God's grace to us and speaking words of hope and life to us. So break the silence. Talk to someone um, and allow them to point you towards Christ. Let's bring all of who we are, all of who we uh, have, have to Jesus. And let's receive the grace and the mercy and forgiveness that he has to offer. Once you've experienced Jesus' healing and forgiveness and transformative work in your life, share that. Share that with others. That is good news that's meant to be shared. Um, you don't have to have it all together. You can invite others to join you in the exploration. Invite, you to, invite them to, to study the Bible with you. Invite them to come to church with you. Invite them uh, to have a meal or have coffee with you. Um, and explore Jesus together. It's okay if you still have questions. It's okay if you don't have all the answers. None of us do. Invite others to join you in that journey. I want to encourage you, actually, um, to, to ask God to bring one person to your mind uh, right now. One, maybe a coworker, a neighbor, a friend who, who maybe you could share um, your story with. But instead of just kind of going and sharing your story this week, I actually want you, the action step for this week is to, to look for an opportunity where you can ask them for help for something, where you can actually put yourself in a position of, uh, of being served by them, and where you can recognize their inherent worth and their inherent dignity. Maybe this is a neighbor who everyone else kind of has rejected. Maybe it's a coworker who everyone else gossips about or, or chatters about. Maybe it's a, a family member who um, you know, has, 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 you've always had trouble with. But look for a way that you can actually recognize their inherent worth, their inherent dignity. Ask them to, to help you with something and see if that opens up an opportunity for you to share your story with them. So I want to ask that, that God would bring someone to your mind. Uh, let me pray for us as we, as we close out this morning. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to show us the way to you. I thank you for the healing. 
I thank you for the mercy, for the grace, the forgiveness that you offer freely to all who ask. I thank you that you care so much about us, that you do not leave us the way you found us, that you transform us, that you renew us, that you set us free. And I ask that you would, uh, that we would open ourselves up to receive the healing and transformative work that you want to do in our lives. May we be willing to share the hope that is within us with everyone that we come into contact with. God, I pray that you would bring someone to our minds right now, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member. Someone who is in need of your grace and of your mercy, of your love. I pray that even this week you may open up an opportunity for us, not just to share our story with them, but for us to recognize their inherent worth and dignity. That we would be able to put ourselves in a position of need to ask them to help us. That you would use that as a springboard to open up an opportunity for us to share our story with them. God, I pray that you would use us to, to bring our whole village to you, that we would bring those around us on this journey with you as we experience and explore more of who you are. And Jesus, I pray that you would stay with us, that you would show us more of who you are as we continue along in this journey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.